week we mentioned that the apostles referred to Jesus as God. They either just came right out and called Him God, or they described Him in such a way that they were teaching that He is God. Uh, the Apostle John says that the Word was God and the Word became flesh. So he referred to Jesus as God. Peter and Paul called Jesus our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thomas referred to Jesus as uh, his Lord and his God. Matthew referred to Jesus as God with us. Even the Old Testament prophets referred to Jesus as God. Isaiah calls Jesus the mighty God. Micah says that the Messiah would be one whose days are from eternity. In other words, the one who is the Messiah is an eternal being, uh, i.e. God. And Zechariah, talking about the second coming of Christ, refers to Jesus as the mighty God. Even God the Father in Hebrews 1.8 referred to Jesus as God when he said, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And now we're on point number four in our study, the fact that Jesus himself, Jesus himself referred to himself as God. Uh, we looked at John 5:17 and 18, where Jesus was saying that, referring to God the Father as his own Father in a unique way, in a way that he wasn't the Father of the Pharisees and the nation of Israel and the rest of the mankind. And so the Pharisees wanted to stone him because they said that he was claiming to be equal with God. John chapter 5 and verse 18. I mean, if you ever take, if you have a red letter Bible, someday just go through the, the New Testament. The red letters are, are just the, the quotes of Christ. And just jot down some of the things that Jesus made about himself, statements that Jesus made about himself, the claims he made about himself. I think what you're going to find is that he made bolder claims than any other human being who ever lived. And it becomes real obvious that he thought of himself as God. And sometimes he didn't just come right out and say it. Well, let me just give you an example. I don't even have it listed down here, but in Matthew 28. Just look back at Matthew 28. Commission. Jesus gives the mission to the church to proclaim his gospel message throughout the world. Verses 18 to 20 of Matthew 28. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, at first glance, that doesn't look like it's a claim to deity. You know, somebody could say in verse 18, well, he says all authority has been given to him. And, you know, God the Father can just decide to give authority to a man. What's the big deal about that? But then we're to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Most people agree that the Father is God and the Holy Spirit is God, but those who deny the deity of Christ, that wouldn't make too much sense. Baptized in the name of God the Father and Jesus, who is just a mere man, and then God the Holy Spirit. That doesn't make a lot of sense. He's put on par on the same level with the other two members of the Trinity. But the thing I want to focus on in verse 20 
Jesus promised the apostles, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses claim that Jesus is not God become a man. He's just an angel. It's Michael the archangel become a man is what their claim is. But the fact is, Michael the archangel, as a created being, and as merely a created being, he can only be in one place at one time. There's no if, what's, or buts about it. Michael the archangel could not say to all believers, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus Christ is claiming the ability to be omnipresent. The ability to be everywhere at the same time. No angel can claim this. So you can even see, even I'm talking about clear references here in our study on the deity of Christ, but even when you look at some of his less clear claims, when you get right down, I mean, this guy's saying, I'm the bread from heaven. I'm the bread of life. Unless you come to me and believe in me, you're going to go on thirsting and hungering for God. But I alone can quench your thirst for God. I alone can satisfy your hunger for God. And so even the passages that we give here, there are many other passages where when you really get down to it and you really think about what he said, the claims that he made are obviously claims to be God. But take a look now at uh, John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verses 23 and 24. You see, what separates Christianity from all the world's religions is the fact that Christianity teaches that 2,000 years ago, a, Jewish young, a young Jewish man, a carpenter from Nazareth, was God himself, God incarnate. And as God, he alone is the Savior of the world. That separates Christianity from all the world's religions. Now take a look at what he says in John 8, verses 23 and 24. And he was saying to them, he's talking to the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore to you that you shall die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. So Jesus is saying, hey, I'm from above, I'm from heaven, you guys are from earth. And unless you believe I am he, you'll die in your sins. What is he talking about? First off, we need to recognize the he, most Bibles italicizes it. Uh, it's not in the, in the original. Literally, he said, unless you believe that I am. Even more literally, he, he said, ego emi, I, I am. He said I twice, because ego means I, emi means I am. So he's putting an accent on the word I. What does he mean by that? Well, the, the problem here is John is writing this in Greek. Jesus was speaking to, to Jewish men, so he probably spoke Aramaic, which was the version of Greek, the type of Greek that was being spoken at, during the time of Christ. And back then, you could say, I am who I am. Uh, in, the, in the Hebrew... Uh, that basically is Yahweh. Now, most Jews did not even mention the word Yahweh, because God said, if you take my name in vain, 
you would be stoned. You would violate my commandments. So they wouldn't even mention the name. Jesus not only mentioned it, but he attributed it to himself. He took it upon himself as a title. Now the problem is, in the Greek, you cannot say, I am, I am. It's an improper Greek. So the best that John could do is put ego emi, I, I am. Uh, but it becomes real clear. It becomes even clearer when you get to the end of this chapter. He says it again. John 8, verses 58 and 59. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. It was real clear what he was claiming. Before Abraham was born. Abraham lived 2,000 years earlier. Before he was born, not I was, I am. Jesus is claiming to be the eternal one. The great I am who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. He's telling the Pharisees, you're looking for the Messiah, I'm him. You claim you worship the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Well, you're looking at him. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, and I alone am God, become a man. And so Jesus Christ very clearly referred to himself as God. Uh, by the way, just take a look at Exodus chapter 3. Hold that page and take a look at Exodus chapter 3. I just want you to see the language that is being spoken here, the, the title for God. Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? You know, there's so many different false gods out there, so many different names for different gods, that Moses said, give me your official name. Give me your personal name. Verse 14, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's Yahweh. I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Let me say something about that. Phil Fernandez can say, I am, but what I have to do, I have to add the reasons why I am. I can say, I am, because Joseph Fernandez met Angelina Minichino, they got married, they had a little baby boy, and they named him Phil. There's enough air, enough oxygen for me to breathe in, this, in the Earth's atmosphere, there's enough food for me to eat. There's lots of different reasons why I am. But when God speaks, He doesn't say, I am because of this or because of that. When God speaks, He says, I am who I am. I am the eternal one, the self-existent one, the uncaused cause of all else that exists. He had no beginning and no end, and then He caused everything else that came into existence to exist. And so Jesus Christ is talking in John 8 to the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders, the experts on the Old Testament. And so he spoke to them in their language in such a way that he made it very clear who he was claiming to be. And they gave him the benefit of the doubt. They said, hey, well, you know, we don't understand what you're saying. Explain yourself. 
But then when he said, before Abraham was born, I am. It was time to pick up stones. And by the way, you read the Gospels, and the Pharisees were picking up stones on a regular basis when they were talking to Jesus. Because it was very, very clear that he was claiming to be God. Uh, take a look at John chapter 10. John 10, verses 30 to 33. Now, Jesus had just got done saying in verses 28 and 29 about his sheep, believers, those who follow him, those who trust in him, follow his leadership as their shepherd. Jesus says that uh, he keeps us safe in his hand, and nobody has the power to snatch them from him. Then he says that my Father, who is greater than all, also keeps them in his hand, and no one can snatch them from him. So he's basically saying, the God of the Bible is bigger than any other God. We Christians can say that. We can say that our God, my God, is bigger than your God when we talk to people in the world of the cults. But here, Jesus Christ is saying, nobody's powerful enough to mess with me and take my sheep from me. Nobody's powerful enough to mess with my father and take my sheep from him. And then he says in verse 30, I and the father are one. Now the one there in the Greek is in the neuter. It's not masculine, it's not feminine. If he was saying, I am one person with the father, it would have to be in the masculine. But since it's in the neuter... It has to talk about something in lines with his nature or his attributes. What I believe he's saying is, he's saying, look, nobody's big enough to mess with me, and nobody's big enough to mess with my father. In fact, I and the father are one in power. I and the father are united in power. We are equal in power. Now, immediately, the Jewish religious leaders, who were the greatest theologians around at that time, immediately something clicked. They said, wait a minute. You cannot be one with the Father in power. You can't be equal in power with the Father unless you're God. Because the God of the Old Testament is an all-powerful God. There's only one being that is all-powerful, and that is God. So for Jesus to claim to be one in power with the Father, he would be claiming to be God. So what did they do? Verse 31, the Jews took up stones again to stone him. It was real clear. It's not real clear to the Jehovah's Witnesses. They do a whole lot of dancing in the Greek, which they got no business doing. They don't have any Greek scholars. They don't have any Hebrew scholars. But they do a whole lot of dancing to try to get away from this passage. But Jesus spoke in the language of the Pharisees. And they understood what he was saying, so they picked up stones to stone. You see, the enemies of Jesus... They recognized that he was claiming to be God, so they tried to stone him. And the followers of Jesus, it took them a little longer, but eventually they got the message. They recognized he was claiming to be God, so they worshipped him. So whether you were the enemy of Jesus or the follower of Jesus, it was irrelevant. His contemporaries knew what he was talking about. You either worshipped him or you wanted to see him dead. It's only 20th century man with the great minds, if you want to call them that, 
where we now begin to reinterpret titles like the Son of God and things of this sort. It was very obvious. It may not be as obvious in the English as it was in the Hebrew, but it was pretty obvious. When Jesus spoke the language of the Jewish religious leaders, they recognized right away what he was claiming to be when they picked up stones to stone him. Now, Jesus wanted to know why these guys were going to try to stone him. Verse 32, Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. It's real clear. It said the same thing back in John chapter 5. It was the same thing there. John 5, the, the, the passage we covered last week, verse 18, For this cause, therefore, the Jews are seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Very clear. Look at John 14. John 14, 9. In fact, take a look at verses 8 and 9 of John 14. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? He's not claiming to be the same person as the Father, but he's claiming to have the same exact nature as the Father has, so that he is the perfect representation of him. In other words, Jesus is saying, since he is fully God and fully man, he is the perfect revelation and the perfect representation of God to man. That sounds kind of funny that a Jewish, a young Jewish man in the prime of life can walk around 2,000 years ago and claim to be God. By the way, we've got plenty of people claim to be God. It's not a real unique claim. The only thing is you name for me, some, name for me somebody who claimed to be God but still has a good reputation. And when we were doing some street evangelism, we had one kid... We were giving them evidence for their Christian faith, and one kid said, Well, man, uh, well, what if I said to you that I was Jesus? What if I said to you that I was God? What would you do then? I said, Well, I could disprove that in two words. And he said, Well, go ahead, try. And I said, Prove it. And he said, What? And I said, Prove it. I said, My God claimed to be God. But he walked on water. My God claimed to be God, but when he went to a funeral, he ruined it because he'd raised the dead. They'd have to do the same thing over again ten years later. My God claimed to be God, but he proved it by healing the sick and by casting out demons. And then he gave the ultimate proof by raising himself from the dead. Plenty of people. Charles Manson claimed to be God. How many people on this planet do you think? you think 2,000 years from now, people are going to be gathering in Charles Manson's name and worshiping him as God? Do you think countries are going to be founded like the United States of America that's going to base its government on the principles from the teachings of Jesus Christ? And then lo and behold, we find out we become the greatest nation on earth and enjoy freedom like no other man has known in history? Anybody can claim to be God. But then you've got to prove it. Only one man claimed to be God and then proved it. The Lord Jesus Christ himself. Look at John 17. John 17 and verse 5. Jesus is praying and he says, Now 
And now glorify thou me, praying to the Father. And now glorify thou me together with thyself, Father, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. The world there, the word is cosmos in the Greek. It means the universe. So before anything, before everything that was created was created, Jesus already existed with the Father. So that makes him eternal, i.e. it makes him God. And then it says that he shared, God the Father shared his glory with God the Son. Throughout the scriptures, you're going to find that our God is a jealous God. Old and New Testament. He doesn't share his glory with any mere mortal or with any angel. The only reason why the Father and Son could share their glory is because the Father is God, the Son is also God, the Holy Spirit himself is God, and in some way that transcends human understanding, they are one being, yet three persons. But Jesus Christ again claimed to be God. Uh, take a look at Revelation 1.8. This is, this is a passage that the Jehovah's Witnesses don't like to deal with, and they really uh, twist passages out of Scriptures. But in Revelation 1.8, Jesus is speaking... And he says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now they say, well, that's not really Jesus speaking. Uh, that's God the Father. Well, when you look at verse 7, it says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. So it's talking about it. The whole context is Jesus. And then Jesus refers to himself as the Alpha and the Omega. Well, let's take a look. Let's follow this line of, of thought out a little bit further. Look at verses 17 and 18. By the way, the Alpha and the Omega are the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. So he's saying, I'm the first and the last. Look at verses 17 and 18. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. So Jehovah's Witnesses say, Yeah, that's still God the Father. Okay, but he's still talking. Verse 18, And the living one, and I was dead... And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Let me ask you, when was God the Father ever dead? When was God the Holy Spirit ever dead? This is Jesus that's talking here. This is Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb who was slain, the carpenter from Nazareth, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking. Take a look a little bit further in Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22, verses 12 and 13. Now remember, they say, well, the Alpha and the Omega is referred to as the Lord God. But they say that's not Jesus. But then later on we saw that the one who calls himself the first and the last has to be Jesus because he said he was dead. Well, then take a look at Revelation 22, verses 12 and 13. Behold, I am coming quickly... Second coming of Christ. And my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You see, the Alpha and the Omega, follow the line of reasoning out here. The first passage we dealt with in Revelation 1, the Alpha and the Omega is the Lord God. 
Revelation 1, 8. Revelation 1, 17 and 18, Jesus says, I'm the first and the last. And we know it's Jesus because he says he was dead, but now he's alive forevermore. He rose from the dead. Then when you come to Revelation 22, it says the Alpha and the Omega, who we've already shown, is the Lord God. The Alpha and the Omega is one and the same with the first and the last, who we've already shown is Jesus because he's risen. In short, Jesus is God, period. If the Jehovah's Witnesses don't like it, they should go out and write their own Bible. In fact, that's what they did. They didn't like the Bible, they didn't like the Word of God, so they went out and wrote their own. Jesus Christ claimed to be God. Uh, Isaiah 44, 6, take a look at that passage. Isaiah 44, 6. Just to give you the Old Testament context of the title, the first and the last. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Real clear, if you are the first and the last, you are God. And so Jesus Christ called Himself God. He claimed to be God. Now, not only did he call himself God, but he acted as if he is God. We all know the, the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, one of the things God makes clear is he is a jealous God, and thou shalt not have any strange gods before him. Thou shalt worship God alone. If you worship Anybody other than God, what does the Bible call that? Idolatry. Idolatry. It's real clear. Exodus 20, verses 1 to 6. So I want us to take a look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. This is shortly after Jesus was born, but... He wasn't in the stable any longer. Now he was in the house, so there had to be some time that passed. Matthew 2, verse 11. And they, that's the uh, wise men, and they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So the wise men come and they worship him. Now we might say, well, he was just a baby. You know, how did he, he didn't even know what was going on. Uh, if he was an adult, he would have known he would have stopped him from doing that. Okay, well, then let's take a look and see what he did when he was an adult. Take a look at Matthew 14, verse 33. Matthew 14. And verse 33. Okay, in this passage, Jesus just got done walking on the water during a horrible storm. And verse 33 says, And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's Son. So here you have the apostles in the boat worshipping Jesus. That's number one. And they were very serious, monotheistic Jews. They believed in the existence of only one God. Yet when Jesus walked on the water, they worshipped him. And then... Not only that, but they called him God's Son, which should let us know that the Son of God, in the Jewish mindset, the Jewish theological mindset, 
the terminology uh, of Jewish theology of the first century, the Son of God, meant God in the flesh. Uh, today we've watered down uh, Christ's claim to be the Son of God, but when he made it back then, 2,000 years ago, it was very clear. Look at Matthew 28, verse 9. These are only some of the passages, by the way. I mean, you find two basic responses to Jesus. I mean, you know, you know we've all heard about people that either love the guy or you hate him. You know, that type of thing. I heard a guy say that this morning on, on television about, the, about Notre Dame, their football team. You either love him or you hate him, okay? But Jesus, it was two extremes. You know, when he walked the earth, you either worshipped him or you wanted to see him dead. There was no in-between. And so he looked at those who wanted to stone him. Now we're looking at some of the people who wanted to worship him. Matthew 28 and verse 9. And behold, this is after Jesus rose from the dead. He appears alive. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Now, in, in none of these passages, none of these passages at all, does Jesus say, Get off your knees and stop worshipping me. I'm just a man. Or get off your knees and stop worshipping me. I'm just an angel who became a man. But Jesus instead accepts worship. Take a look at John 9, 35 to 38. Look at this passage real close. Jesus heard that they had put him out. They had kicked the, uh, the Jewish man who was born blind. Jesus had restored his sight. And now the guy got kicked out of the synagogue. Jesus heard that they had put him out. And finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? In other words, the Messiah. And he answered and said, And who is he? And who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? You see, he's saying, Look, if you can open the eyes of a man born blind, I'm going to trust your spiritual judgment. Just tell me who the Messiah is, and I'll believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. Verse 38, And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. He worshipped Jesus. Now, verse 39, Jesus tells him, you don't, you're, you're making a mistake here. You're not supposed to worship me. Only worship God. I'm not God. And by the way, this is in the Bible, passages like that. We don't have time to turn there, but Revelation 19.10. Revelation 19.10. John sees a mighty angel, a tremendous, glorious angel. He drops to his knees, and the angel says, don't worship me. I'm a fellow servant of God, just like you. Worship God. Don't worship me. Peter, in Acts 10, Cornelius sees him, drops to his knees, and Paul tells him, stand up. I mean, Peter, actually. Stand up, I'm just a man. You're not supposed to worship me. But Jesus is totally different. Don't go around saying Jesus was just a good man or a prophet. He claimed to be God. Jesus is either God or he's a blasphemer. You don't have any other choices. But now, what does Jesus say to him? This guy worships him. The man born blind worships him. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be, become blind. What he's saying is, you were blind physically, but now you see physically. Now you worship me, so you were blind spiritually, but now you see spiritually. You see my true identity. Now the Pharisees, they think they see. They don't think they need a Savior. 
They think they're going to get to heaven by their own works. And so Jesus says, those who see or claim that they can see, they will remain blind. And so what Jesus is saying, he's acknowledging that uh, this young Jewish man that had been born blind, that he healed, that the man was doing the right thing. He's saying, good, you believe. You are a, you are a person who has recognized my true identity, that I am God. Look at Matthew, I mean John, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 28 and 29. Jesus appears, he's risen from the dead, and doubting Thomas sees the risen Christ and says this in verse 28. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. He's referring to Jesus as his Lord and his God. Obviously, that's worship. Verse 29, does Jesus correct him? No. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. Jesus Christ received worship. He accepted, not only accepted that worship, but he encouraged others to do the same. He promised a blessing to those who had never seen him and yet would also say that Jesus is my Lord and my God. There's no middle of the road here. This isn't a, a, just a nice guy walking around teaching nice things about God. This is a man claiming to be God incarnate. The boldest claims made by a man, but he defended those claims by providing evidence such as his resurrection from the dead. Uh, he forgave sins. Look at the, the Gospel of Mark. By the way, you can forgive sins. You can, you know, if, um, if I walked up to you and was having a bad day, and I pushed you, and then the next day I said, hey, I was sorry, I was just having a bad day, you can forgive me, okay? But, if I push Doug Platt, and then tomorrow I go to Dwayne Eakes for forgiveness, Dwayne would say, why are you coming to me? You didn't sin against me, Fernandez. You didn't do anything wrong to me. Your problem's with Doug Platt. You need to ask him for forgiveness. Okay? Well, in Mark 2, these guys bring to Jesus a man who was paralyzed. He needed to be healed. Jesus never met the guy before in his life, and Jesus tells him, looks at the guy and says, your sins are forgiven. And the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, started scratching their heads saying, wait a minute. He doesn't know this guy. You see, the thing is, if I did something wrong to Doug Platt, then I did something wrong directed at him. Dwayne can't forgive that. However... All sin is what? It's rebellion against God. All sin is directed at God. Therefore, if Jesus is God, he can forgive sin that wasn't directed at, at his physical person or the, at his human nature because it's still directed at his divine nature, the fact that he is God. Look at Mark chapter 2, verses 5 to 7. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. But there were some of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Real, real clear. And then Jesus goes on and physically heals the guy to prove 
uh, that he has the authority to forgive sin, that therefore all sin is directed against him, and he is therefore none none other than God in the flesh. Look at Mark chapter 14. Let me say this. If Jesus Christ is not God, then not only... Is he not a good te- was he not a good teacher, but he would have been the worst communicator in the history of mankind. If Jesus Christ is not God, he was lousy with words, okay? L- look at uh, Mark 14, verse 64. The high priest says this, You have heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Okay? Jesus, the, the crime that the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, which was made up of Sadducees and Pharisees, the Jewish ruling council, they found Jesus guilty of blasphemy. Now, we don't have time to turn there, but we looked at the passage already in John chapter 10, verse 33. In that passage, it is real clear that they said that the reason why we want to stone you is because you're guilty of blasphemy because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. So it's real clear what they mean by blasphemy. So they found him guilty of that. Now, the Romans, that wouldn't fly with the Romans because the Romans could care less about a, uh, a dispute over the Jewish religion. So they said, well, he's also claiming not only to be God but to be the Jewish Messiah, and the Old Testament predicts when the Jewish Messiah comes, he's going to knock off the Roman Empire. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll try him, we'll send him to Pilate based on treason. And we'll say he claims to be the king of the Jews, and he doesn't accept the authority of Caesar. And, and uh, so after time went on, they finally convinced Pilate to allow him to be crucified. Uh, but it's real clear that the crime, that the initial crime that the Sanhedrin found him guilty of was blasphemy. Now, all he had to do, all he had to do when he was on trial was say, look, you guys just misunderstood me. Maybe I'm not a great communicator. I never claimed to be God. I'm just claiming to be a good Rabbi, a good teacher, and I'm just teaching people to obey the law and how to save themselves by their works or whatever. I'm not claiming to be God. I'm not claiming to be the Savior of mankind. It's all he had to say. And what they probably would have said was, okay. You know, they would have either whipped him and then have him make a public statement, taking back all claims to be God, or they would have just said, okay, well, next time we'll whip you, but we need you to make a public statement to let people know that you're not claiming to be God. Yet, when Jesus was tried, he never took back anything that he said. And it was real, real clear. Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross for blasphemy because he, being a man, was making himself out to be God. He claimed to be God. If Jesus Christ did not claim to be God, all he had to do was make that known to the Jewish Sanhedrin, and they would have released him. Uh, The Bible also teaches that Jesus, one of his uh, primary actions was that he created the universe. Look at John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John chapter 1, 
verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you look down at verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh. And down in verse 17, it identifies him as Jesus Christ. So the Word was God. Verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And so it's real clear that Jesus Christ is referred to as God and that He is the Creator. Nothing came into existence except through Him. Now you can find passages that talk about all three members of the Trinity at work in creation. But as Creator, Jesus Christ is Himself God. Uh, Colossians 1:15 and 17, we don't have time to turn there, but that also is a passage where Paul, the Apostle Paul, who himself was a Jewish Pharisee, but on the road to Damascus when he was trying to persecute the, the, the Jews that had accepted Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ confronted him, knocked him off his horse, and then he realized that Jesus Christ was the Jewish Messiah and God in the flesh, and he became the greatest persecutor the church has ever known, became uh, the greatest evangelist and theologian the church had ever known. Um, but in Colossians 1, 15 to 17, he talks about the fact that Jesus Christ created all things, both visible and invisible. Everything that was created was created through Jesus. Well, we know in Genesis 1, 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you, create, if you are the creator, you're God. And it is real, real clear in the Scriptures. Uh, also, the next point is that Jesus is called the Lord throughout the New Testament. Uh, now, the Greek word for Lord is kurios. And uh, when, the, when the Hebrews, a couple hundred years before Christ, most of the Jews no longer spoke Hebrew at that point. Some of them still did, but most didn't. And so they had to take the Hebrew Old Testament and they translated it into Greek. It's called the Septuagint, a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Well, when they did that, whenever they came to Yahweh, they translated it as Koryas. Now, let me say this. Not every time that Koryas is used is it a reference to deity. You can refer to your human master as Koryas, as Lord, my master. Uh, however, there are certain contexts where it is amply clear that calling Jesus Christ the Lord, especially when he's referred to as the Lord of all, then the reference is to his deity. Look at Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, in verse 36. By the way, when, when Doubting Thomas called Jesus my Lord and my God, literally in the Greek, that, that is, hakoriasmu kaihathiasmu, so he says, the Lord of me and the God of me. There's another reference there where Lord is definitely, there's no two ways to look at it. Uh, Lord there is being used, uh, Koryas is being used for Yahweh. Jesus is referred to as God himself. But Acts chapter 10, verse 36, and Peter is speaking, and he says, The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. It's real, real clear there 
Jesus Christ is master of everything. He's the master of the universe. Jesus Christ is God himself. And finally, just two more passages here. Look first at Isaiah 45. You know, this world is filled with trials, and you got people going out there proclaiming evil, and lots of horrible things have been done, man's cruelty against other men, and people continuing to rebel against God. But the Bible says in the, in the last days, all mankind, whether they like it or not, are going to have to bend the knee to the God of creation and the God of redemption. Now take a look at Isaiah 45, verses 22 and 23. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. For I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me... Every knee will bow. Every tongue will swear allegiance. And the God of the Old Testament is predicting that if you want to be saved, you must turn to Him and to Him alone. Sounds a lot like Matthew 11:28, where Jesus said, uh, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying the same thing there. But I want us to focus on there that God says, To me, to me, he says, for I am God and there is no other, but to me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. Take a look at Philippians 2. We're going to close with this passage. Hold that thought in mind and take a look at Philippians chapter 2. Verse 